Anyone claiming that America's economy is in decline is peddling fiction. I've abandoned free market principles to save the free market system. But we have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. Raising the debt ceiling does not increase our debt. It does not somehow promote profligacy. I know words. I have the best words. Nobody knows the system better than me, which is why I alone can fix it. Hello, hello. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to a brand new episode of Peddling Fiction. I am your host, the voice and soul of so-called fiction, Johnny the Gentile Profita. And for all you new listeners out there not familiar with the show, I talk about politics, current events, and economics with a libertarian spin, always with an eye toward freedom. I am flying solo once again. Johnny the Jew will be back later this week. And I'm just happy to be here talking to all you fine fiction peddlers out there. Well, really anything is better than riding that godforsaken red line during rush hour. I'm really just relieved to be off of that and back in the comfort of my condo. Jesus. What? <laughs> What the hell is going on with people these days? It's, you know, it's been a while since I've ridden the train during rush hour. I live in Chicago, for any of you guys that don't know. Behind enemy lines. And I specifically arranged my work schedule around avoiding the cancer that is the rush hour crowd. So I'm at work usually by 7 a.m., which means I have to be on the train by about 6.30, up around 5.45. That keeps the level of lemming to a minimum, which is the way I prefer it. But my God, you know, I had my buildings having some new internet cable installed. And so I, I was given the window of 7 to 9 for the for the cable guy to come and lay and lay the new cable, so... I didn't actually get on the train till about 8.30 this morning. And my God, how many fucking bags do people need? I mean, seriously, what is going on here? It's not bad enough that it's packed ass to nuts in these train cars and that the vast majority of people are closing in on morbid obesity. But now every Tom, Dick, and Harry has to strap on a bulging 30-pound backpack? What the hell is everyone carrying around? How is it even possible to need that much stuff to go to work? I don't understand this. These, these aren't kids that are going to school. These are grown-ass men. And they all have them. All of them. Literally every single person I saw on the train this morning had at least one bag. Every single one of them. It used to be just the women. They would have a purse, right? They'd, they'd be the ones carrying a bag. Now every woman I saw had a minimum of two bags. Some had three, and every guy has a backpack. Can anyone explain this to me? 
the need for grown men to have backpacks? And don't give me this shit about how they're going to the gym after work. I looked at these guys, okay? They're not going to the gym. And even if they were, a pair of shorts and a t-shirt does not require a backpack. And don't they have lockers at gyms? Can't you put stuff in a locker and lock it? You're a member of the gym? Can't you just keep your stuff in there? Jesus Christ. I mean, if you're a man, if you're a real man, and it doesn't fit in your pocket, don't bring it, okay? It's that simple. You don't need it. I mean, one guy looked like he was about to go backpacking through Europe. He had a giant water bottle popping out the side pocket, bumping into things, digging into other people's backs. You're on the train for 15 minutes. You don't need your own water supply. Ah, man. And the women. Listen, ladies. I know there are some ladies that listen to the show. You don't need three bags to leave your house for eight hours. You just don't. I I don't want to hear it, okay? I don't know what the hell you could possibly be putting in there, but all the feminine products in the world should only require one bag, okay? I didn't see any of you with less than two. This is insane. This is insanity. We are out of control as a society. We all have too much shit that we don't need. And on top of that, we're chocked full of inconsiderate pricks who think it's perfectly fine to occupy the space of three and a half people on public transportation. That or they're just such nervous Nancys that they can't fathom going to work without a week's supply of goods. Think of the other travelers for once in your life. Think of the people you're going to be bumping up against and driving your fat-ass bag into their back for 20 minutes on the train. And then ask yourself, do I really need all that? Do I really need all this stuff just to go to work today? And the answer is no. Of course not. Take something out. Take, pack your bag. Take half of it out. And then go to work. How about that? Let's start there. We don't all have to become some urban version of these hillbilly preppers that carry around things they will never actually need. But there's a .0001% chance that in the zombie apocalypse, you know, you don't want to go out without your backup pair of shoes or whatever the hell you guys are carrying around in these bags. You're going to the office, okay? We're not camping. Just stop it. Stop it already. <laughs> all right. Uh, anyway, speaking of backpacks, <laughs> I saw a headline today that really caught my eye. And the headline reads, Chicago Teachers Union goes to Venezuela, praises Maduro, not closing schools. How's that for a transition? I bet you didn't think I could do it, did ya? Move seamlessly from backpacks into teachers and school and Venezuela. (laughs) Anyway, the reason this headline caught my eye was not just the absurdity of of the statement, Uh, of praising schools for not closing in Venezuela. But because I've been following this situation for years now, three years now, maybe even longer, even before the time when people in Venezuela raided all the zoos to eat the animals so that they didn't die of starvation. You know, I'm old enough to remember the likes of Bernie Sanders and celebrities like Sean Penn and uh, uh, who's that? fat slob documentarian that looks like an out-of-work lesbian trucker. 
Michael Moore. <laughs> Michael Moore. I'm old enough to, to remember all of these idiots praising Hugo Chavez in Venezuela as the greatest thing since sliced bread. You know, Bernie Sanders, where the American dream was more likely to be realized over there than in America. You can actually still pull up these tweets. They're still out there on the interwebs. You know, Hugo, Michael Moore, Hugo Chavez declared the oil belonged to the people. He used oil money to eliminate 75% of extreme poverty, provided free health care and education for all. Yeah, he's a real saint. And uh, Sean Penn, uh, he did incredible things for the 80% of the people that are very, very poor over there. These are all quotes from when Hugo Chavez initially embarked on the more radical vision, the more radical socialist vision for Venezuela, and really started to kick the policies into full gear before they became overrun with hyperinflation and just descended into economic chaos. You know, ironically, it would make sense to see people on the trains in Venezuela, assuming they had a functioning public transportation system, carrying backpacks and several bags, because that's how much cash you have to carry around just to buy simple everyday items. There's so much inflation over there that a backpack full of cash is needed to make the simplest of purchases. Of course, there's nothing on the shelves to buy, and you have to wait in lines all day in the hopes of getting basic necessities like the toilet paper, maybe a sack of beans or some rice or some eggs. But, you know, as Bernie Sanders says, that's a good thing. That's a good thing to wait in line for bread. In the poorer countries, they have no bread. <laughs> oh, he's such a buffoon. Anyway, back to this article. Four representatives of the Chicago Teachers Union, including a member of its executive board, visited Venezuela in July and returned with high praise for the socialist policies of President Nicolas Maduro. This should not surprise anyone paying attention to the increasingly left-leaning political views of the leadership at the union, which represents some 25,000 teachers across Chicago. Reading their social media accounts of the trip, you'd think they visited Mayberry. The CTU executive board member, Sarah Chambers. Through major economic hardships, Venezuelan President Nicolas Maduro never closed a single public school or a single health clinic. This stands in stark contrast to our experience in Chicago, where Mayor Rahm Emanuel closed 50 public schools and several mental health clinics in a single year. Chambers also posted on social media her astonishment that during her trip, she didn't see a single homeless person. She and others praised the literacy rates in the country and the commune-style culture. Okay, I gotta stop right there, because there is no goddamn way I would ever send my kid to a Chicago public school. I mean, I don't have kids, but if I did... Jesus Christ. I mean, if these people are teaching your kids right now or even just coming into contact with them on a regular basis, you need to do everything in your power to make it stop. And, the, you know, these are representatives of the union, so they may not be teaching your kids, but they represent the interests of those that do. And if the people teaching your kids are dumb enough to have representation like this, they're this, this dumb, this naive, this dense that they can't connect these dots, that the policies that they're advocating for here are the ones that will push our country over the edge into full-blown Venezuelan-style democratic socialism. 
you need to get your kids as far away from that cancer as possible. If you want them to have any hope of a successful, fulfilling life, just get them out of these schools. Should close down more. 50. Why stop at 50? Close them all down. This is a disaster. This is a disaster that they're teaching our kids this crap. You go and visit Venezuela, the most recent example of a failed socialist state that was praised as this model, the modern day template of how socialism should be implemented, that was once the richest country in South America, that has some of the largest oil reserves in the world, tons of natural resources, miles and miles of oceanfront, the Andes Mountains, every possible thing people could want in a country and it was all squandered in a matter of one generation squandered because and only because they implemented this democratic socialism that is all the rage these days they can't get their they have all this oil they can't get it out of the ground the people that are still there because everyone who has money any all the rich people fled that country before things got really bad so all the poor the middle class the ones who couldn't afford to flee socialism for capitalism are living a level of abject poverty hopefully none of us will ever have to see. They've already eaten the zoo animals. They had to eat their pets. Most of them had to resort to eating garbage on a daily basis to survive. People are starving to death over there. They've lost so much weight that they've, they jokingly refer to the weight loss as the Maduro diet. They don't have basic necessities like toilet paper, tampons, toothpaste, flour, milk, eggs. You go and visit that country and your takeaway is the lesson here is that they didn't close any schools. Oh, look at these brave heroes. They didn't close any schools or clinics. I didn't see a single homeless person. Give me a fucking break. Give me a break. That's all the knowledge and wisdom you pulled away from that experience. That's what you thought was worth sharing with the world. You're that obtuse. That's the kind of people. That's the level of idiot that is representing your teacher's union today. That's colluding with your elected government officials to implement policy. The people that are praising Venezuela after the economic collapse and descent into chaos. At least the rest of the socialists had the sense to try and distance themselves from it after all these socialist policies inevitably failed miserably and it descended into that stage of, well, that wasn't real socialism. You know, the Bernie Sanders, the Sean Penn, they all shut up about it now. You'll never, they'll, they'll point, oh, look at Denmark now. Now Denmark's their big thing. You know, the Nordic countries. And these idiots in the teachers' unions, after they've collapsed, descended into chaos now they're praising it. Seeing everything that transpired, they still find a way to admire this failed ideology and horrific policies. The same policies that were implemented over time in Venezuela, no doubt they want implemented here. That's who's representing your teachers. They want to make your schools more like Venezuela, the shining example of educational excellence coming out of Venezuela. The article actually lists five of the ten top facts about Venezuela poverty <laughs> and let's just go through them real quick just to give you some perspective on what Venezuela is currently like the the Venezuela that these teachers just visited and came back singing praises right 
Poverty in Venezuela is an epidemic. Nearly 90% of Venezuelans live in poverty, according to estimates by the United Nations Economic Commissions for Latin America and the Caribbean. This is a dramatic increase from 2014, when only 48% of Venezuelans lived in poverty. Venezuela is experiencing hyperinflation, one of the worst inflation rates in history. According to the deputy director of the IMF's Western Hemisphere Department, Venezuela's inflation rate sits at 27,364%. Just to put that into perspective, in the United States, when Nixon instituted wage and price controls, we were at 4%. 4% inflation. They're at 27,000-something. That's insane. Okay, back to the article. Food crisis leads to the Maduro diet, I mentioned before. Malnutrition is spreading. According to a recent survey, over two-thirds of Venezuelans report losing an average of 25 pounds in the last year, and 61.2% of Venezuelans report going to bed hungry. Legit hungry, not like that bullshit survey that they did with the kids in the U.S. I will say, there were a lot of people on the train today that could use the Maduro diet. Drop a quick 25 LBs. Uh, anyway, medicine is running out. Due to the poor economy, Venezuela is experiencing a severe medicine shortage and hospitals are struggling to stay open. The Pharmaceutical Federation of Venezuela estimates the country is experiencing an 85% shortage of medicine. But the important thing is that the clinics are still open. Whether or not they have medicine, you know, who cares? You can still go in there. They might not have any medicine, but you can still go through the doors and sit in the clinic. That makes you feel any better. And Venezuelans are fleeing the country. In the past two years, one million Venezuelans have fled the struggling nation. No doubt uh, that a lot of the, the people showing up at our border are from Venezuela. This is all connected. But l- let's back up for a minute and go over that country, okay? Because it, it really is a perfect modern-day example of everything that can and will go wrong with democratic socialism. Let's see just exactly what led to these economic hardships that the Chicago Teachers Union representatives were so impressed that they were able to overcome and manage to keep all their schools and hospitals open, shall we? If you look at the history of this country, starting in the 1950s, they began the slow creep toward full-blown socialism. That accelerated under Chavez and collapsed right, right after his death, right? Venezuela played the socialist handbook to a T. Right down the checklist, first ballot, Hall of Fame, socialist failure. Higher and higher taxes, increased government spending, central bank. They nationalized the telephone industry, the banks, the oil industry. They had numerous state-owned companies. And as they began to chip away at the economic freedom and their condition continued to deteriorate, it was easier and easier for politicians to make the claim, you know, see, it wasn't this little taste of socialism that we're getting that's causing all this economic pain. No, no, no. See, it's that we didn't have enough socialism. We need more. We can't have these moderate ideas. We need big, bold ideas. We need, we need to go all out, full-blown socialism. We need to take total control of everything. And once we have it, we'll be able to give you all these wonderful things, you know. 
uh, free health care, free education, a guaranteed government job. And they borrowed and they borrowed and they borrowed. They took all their confiscated oil profits and they squandered them for short-term political promises. Any of that sound familiar? Does any of that sound like it could come right out of a Democratic debate in 2019 in the United States of America? I mean, basically what Chavez did was he relied on all these oil revenues from all these uh, companies that they confiscated to import food and, and all these other goods, and they would sell it to the public at subsidized prices. You know, he took the evil profit out of everything because he's the government. He doesn't have to make a profit. So he successfully removes the profit incentive from everything. And along with it, all of the efficiencies, all of the innovation, all of the maintenance of the supply chain and yeah he was able to sell goods super cheap to venezuelans so they for a while they got really cheap gasoline and they had all these um, food programs you know welfare type programs and stuff like that all these subsidies for the voters you know the the working man the joe six packs of venezuela he spent like a drunken sailor he quadrupled venezuelans foreign debt he expropriated or nationalized hundreds of firms and factories and farms. You name it, he took it over. And by the time Maduro took over, after Chavez's death, Venezuela was on the verge of a crippling economic crisis. Then all of a sudden, you know, oil prices plummet. They were living high on the hog with $150 barrel oil. Well, M Maduro's capacity to, to fund these long-standing assistance programs, all these promises that he made to the voters over the years, you know, the food subsidies, the health care, the education, the government's ability to make good on all those promises was completely destroyed when gas prices fell. And it was all because they, they com the government completely mismanaged the economy. They had no idea what they were doing. But hey, at least those rich fat cats in oil industry and all those rich Venezuelans, all those entrepreneurs over there, you know, at least they, they stuck it to those rich people, right? And so now Maduro, he's got a problem, right? He's got all these obligations that he's made to his people or that Hugo Chavez made before him, and he doesn't have any money. There's no more oil money coming in. And they've mismanaged the industry to the point where they can't figure out how to get oil out of the ground anymore at prices that will make sense. They've driven all the private enterprise out of the country. All these private oil companies have left. Any business that's, that has any success whatsoever is long gone. But he has a printing press. So what does he do? To avoid cutting spending, Maduro began to print more and more money. Obviously, right, that, that's the easy solution here. We don't want to cut your benefits. We made you promises. We, we made you nominal promises. So here's your nominal money, right? And that sparks hyperinflation. Hyperinflation. Inflation runs rampant through the country. The inflation they're experiencing now is about as bad as you can imagine. Prices are increasing so fast that if you sit down at a restaurant the cost of your meal will have gone up by the time you finish eating. It's gotten to the point where restaurants stopped putting prices on the menu because they couldn't change them fast enough. And then, of course, once the inflation genie is out of the bottle, here come the wage and price controls. And once you start putting wage and price controls in place, you get shortages. It's a vicious cycle of one idiotic economic policy after another, rooted in this idea of democracy, 
of democratic socialism that feeds off of itself. Each policy gives way to more government intervention, less freedom, and more devastating problems. Until you get to the point where you've gone full-blown authoritarian, abolish all private property, those who can flee, flee for greener pastures, those who can't, the most vulnerable among us, the ones that all the politicians allegedly care so much about, the ones who these policies were specifically tailored to help, are left eating garbage, waiting in lines to get basic necessities. Women have to prostitute themselves to survive. Yeah, if you think all of those women who were once teachers at wonderful schools in Venezuela, they're of course still open, didn't have to prostitute themselves to feed their families, you're delusional. Let me read to you from the Miami Herald. This article is from two years ago. So it's only gotten worse since then. At a squat, concrete brothel on the muddy banks of the Araqua River, Gabrielle Sanchez rattled off the previous jobs of the women who now sell their bodies at his establishment for $25 an hour. We've got lots of teachers, some doctors, many professional women, and one petroleum engineer. All of them showed up with their degrees in hand. All of them came from Venezuela. As Venezuela's economy continued to collapse amid food shortages, hyperinflation, waves of economic refugees have fled the country. Those with the means have gone to places like Miami, Santiago, and Panama. The less fortunate find themselves walking across the border into Colombia looking for a way, any way, to keep themselves and their families fed. A recent study suggests that as many as 350,000 Venezuelans had entered Colombia in the last six years. But with jobs scarce, many young and not-so-young women are turning to the world's oldest profession to make ends meet. Diana, a 30-year-old mother of four, nursed a beer as she watched potential clients walk down the dirt road that runs in front of wooden shacks, bars, and bordellos. Dressed for work in brightly colored spandex, Diana said she used to be the manager of a food processing plant in the outskirts of Caracas. But the job disappeared after the government seized the factory and looted it, she said. Seven months ago, struggling to put food on the table, she came to Colombia looking for work. Without an employment permit, she found herself working as a prostitute in the capital of Bogota. While the money was better there, she eventually moved to Araqua, a cattle town of 260,000 people along the border of Venezuela, because it was easier to send food back to her children in Caracas. The previous night, her sister had traveled by bus for 18 hours from Caracas to pick up a bundle of groceries that Diana had purchased, pasta, tuna, rice, cooking oil, and then immediately jump back on the bus to head home. If you had told me four years ago that I would be, do- I would be here doing this, I wouldn't have believed you, said Diana, who asked that her last name not be used. We've gone from crisis to crisis to crisis, and now look where we are. The article goes on from there, but I think you guys get the point. Nurses, doctors, teachers, engineers, these jobs are gone in Venezuela. You can't do that work anymore. There is no market for them. All of the promises the government has made of healthcare being a right, Education being a right, universal health care for all, education for all, it's all gone. These are empty promises. 
Sure, maybe the schools are technically open, but nobody can actually afford to go to them. They have to spend their days rummaging through garbage to find their next meal or to try to get their hands on some medicine. They're waiting in lines that are blocks long, hoping that there will be a bag of flour and maybe some eggs at the end of it. Teachers can't get to school because there's gas shortages. The public transportation system has been destroyed. Here's another take on the education system. You know, from the very pro-Trump right-wing NPR, okay? Just so you know that I'm, I'm not cherry-picking articles here. Amid Venezuela's catastrophic economic meltdown, education experts say that it's getting much harder for children to get a good grasp of history, geography, and their ABCs. School staff are resigning in droves. Legions of students and teachers are among the 4 million Venezuelans who have fled the country in recent years. Those still going to school in the country often find that classes have been canceled due to power outages, water shortages, or other breakdowns. Some of the school buildings are falling apart, have been taken over by homeless squatters, or are used by pro-government militias for training. In 2016, the last year the Venezuelan government released enrollment figures, about 8.5 million Venezuelan children were attending K-12 schools, Now that figure may have dropped to about 6.5 million. One independent education group in Aragua State just went to Caracas, reported that at the start of the current school year, more than half of all students were no longer going to classes. In a TV interview in May, education minister acknowledged problems but blamed the U.S. sanctions and pointed out that in spite of government challenges, public schools remained free. So there you go. Uh, Yeah, of course, they're going to blame the U.S. sanctions, which obviously are not helping the situation. But these sanctions have only been in place for a few years and they're not they're not that crippling. Okay, these problems were happening long before the U.S. got involved. Obviously, we should stay out of it. But that that it's just giving them a scapegoat. And yeah, the, the schools remain free and empty. Thank you very much. Back to the article. Many of the challenges facing students and teachers are glaringly obvious in Ramo Verde, a mountainside slum on the outskirts of Caracas, where Maria Perez has taught geography at a public school for the past 18 years. She's one of just four teachers still showing up for work. The other eight recently resigned because they couldn't survive on their $5 monthly salaries. Perez scrapes by peddling cell phone accessories on the weekends. She also crosses the border into Colombia to stock up on food, which she resells on the streets and sometimes distributes to her malnourished students. The school is supposed to provide a midday snack, but often there are no provisions in the cafeteria. Three of her students recently fainted, including one girl who had not eaten dinner the night before or breakfast that morning and collapsed during gym class. It makes me want to cry, Perez says. Many of her students skip school to help feed their families by doing odd jobs, such as hauling water. During frequent electricity cuts in Ramo Verde, water pumps don't work, so residents must fill up buckets and containers at the mountain springs, mountainside springs and lug them back to their homes. Some of Perez's students now spend their days going door-to-door delivering spring water. As she walks through the slum, Perez spots one of them, Roynel Rizzo, a skinny 14-year-old. In exchange for about five gallons of water, families will pay Rizzo with a bag of rice or pasta. He prefers payment in kind because hyperinflation has rendered the 
the Bolivar, Venezuela's currency, nearly worthless. Rizzo skips two days of school per week and laments, I miss going to math class. Or here's an article from the Pan Am Post. The classrooms in Venezuela are empty, not because of school holidays, but because of the shortage of students and teachers. According to a report by the news portal InfoBay, the schools in the South American country are beginning to look for alternatives to replace teachers. They are summoning students' mothers to teach different classes. The movement has 40 volunteer mothers in 26 schools in Caracas. They have assumed the responsibility of the teachers. These schools alone need 189 teachers. The Venezuelan Association of Catholic Schools reports that there have been 7,000 resignations since since September of last year, of which 80% are teachers. A report by Euronews revealed that 20% of professors have given up their positions. In Venezuela, a teacher with a high school education qualification receives a basic monthly salary of 102,000 bolivars. Now that sounds like a lot of money, and it probably was a lot of money back before this inflation kicked in. But now that's the equivalent of 10 U.S. dollars. Besides the shortages of teachers, there's also a severe absence of students. According to the Living Conditions Survey of 2018, 28% of students did not attend school due to the shortage of water, 22% due to lack of food in the house, and 13% due to the food shortage at school. Other factors contributing to the absence include shortages of medicine, the low purchasing power of Venezuelans, and lack of transportation. So there you go. That's the school system that's being praised by the Chicago Teachers Union. These people should be ashamed of themselves. Does that sound like a country you want to live in? Does that sound like uh, a place you want to send your kids to school? They have no money left. I'm sure there were a ton of teachers unions and unionized workers all throughout Venezuela making all sorts of promises to the schools, to the parents, to the children. It's all gone. They can't make good on any of those promises. The government stole it, borrowed it, squandered it. It's all gone. All that's left is a broken shell of a once potentially great wealthy country. And it's all because the people bought into this idea that the government somehow knows how to run companies better than the companies themselves. That they are these angels that are going to be the great referees of society and make sure that those fat cats in whatever industry, they don't get too rich and that everyone gets the same amount of stuff. We're all going to have this wonderful equality. All because they played to people's base emotions of greed, envy, and fear. And if you're out there and you're hearing these politicians promise you everything under the sun, at no cost to you. We'll just make the rich pay for it. And you're not thinking about Venezuela. You're not thinking about those stories that I just read to you of women having to, uh, mothers of four having to prostitute themselves for some cooking oil, cans of tuna, that one of the richest countries in South America is now back on the barter system. Shame on you. Shame on you. There's no excuse for this anymore. We've seen it too many times. Stop with the bullshit. You need to take a long, hard look in the mirror. I'd say pick up a history book or two. But you don't even have to do that. 
It's literally unfolding right in front of your eyes. You just need to pay attention. You don't think Hugo Chavez and Nicolas Maduro promised these people universal health care, free education, medicine whenever they needed it? Of course they did. All they had to do was vote for them, right? And they'd be sure to take from the rich oil companies and spread the wealth around. It's in their constitution. You can look it up. Free and quality health care as a human right is guaranteed to all Venezuelan citizens. Yeah, does that sound familiar? Where have we heard that before? How's that human right working out for the Venezuelans right now? Those that are left in the country. Those that haven't fled. Not so good. Not so good. Not so good because the truth is, those aren't rights. And nobody can guarantee them. Nobody. Your rights cannot impose an obligation on somebody else. And in order to have health care, someone else has to provide it. There is no way a government can guarantee someone provides you with health care or education or any other service absent slavery. And if nobody is left to provide it, if all the doctors and all the nurses and all the teachers have fled the country and there's nobody there to make good on that government guarantee, then it's worth about as much as the piece of paper the guarantee was written on. The only thing, the only system that we have found that can possibly provide the most services, healthcare, education, or otherwise, to the most amount of people at the lowest cost to the consumer and the highest possible quality is the free market. And I know that scares a lot of people because the market doesn't come with this guarantee. There is no government guarantee that the market will provide you with anything. But when hasn't it? When has it actually failed you? And do you have a better system? Because all the hope and change and pie-in-the-sky dreams will never make socialism of any kind functionable. All of the government promises and all of the government guarantees are meaningless. And Venezuela is the perfect example. How many of you out there have seen Tommy Boy? You know, you can slap a guarantee on a box, or in this case a ballot, and it makes you feel good, safe, secure. But all they've really done is sold you a guaranteed piece of shit. That's all it is. That's why they had to guarantee it. Because it's the only way that they can get you to buy the crap that they're selling. I'm going to give everyone universal health care. Okay, really? How? Oh, don't worry. Don't worry about it. It's a right. It's a human right. I guarantee it. And I'm the government, so it'll be fine. You know? Look, if you want me to take a dump in a box and mark it guaranteed, I can. I've got spare time. But for now, for your sake, for the sake of your country your children, your grandchildren, and all of mankind, you might want to think about buying a quality product from me. And that product is the free market. True free market capitalism without the cancer of government intervention. The system that has pulled more people out of poverty than any other system known to man, that has done more to provide wealth and opportunity to more people than any government program could ever imagine. Is it perfect? Of course not. But it's by far the best system we've come up with. 
There is a reason that people always flee socialist countries for capitalist countries and not the other way around. There is a reason that they had to erect a wall between East and West Berlin, and it wasn't to keep the people from going East. No amount of tinkering with socialism will ever achieve anything better than the free market, than the billions of individuals working in their own self-interest with a staunch, unwavering respect for property rights and the non-aggression principle. Communism, fascism, it's all socialism. You know, people like to pretend that fascism and communism are on opposite ends of the spectrum. When they're really not, they're much closer on the political spectrum than you think. One's not far right and the other's far left. They're both far left ideologies. They're all socialism. They're both different types of socialism. Socialism is the umbrella and you have communism where the, the government seizes the means of production. They take control over everything. And they, they run the economy. And then you have fascism. Under fascism, yes, they allow private ownership, but they essentially take all the equitable ownership through confiscatory levels of taxation and ridiculously high regulation. So yeah, you, you run the day-to-day operation, and you technically still own it, but the government's actually making more off of your company than you are. But it's all socialism, and it's all government intervention. It's just a different method of implementing the socialism. And they want to attach, you know, racism to fascism because of the Nazis, right? But fascism started in Italy. There was no racial element to that. And what was the the name of, what is Nazis, National Socialist Party? So forget about the racial stuff. That's irrelevant, okay? It's all socialism. And no matter which method you choose to implement it, There's no getting around the fundamental flaws that are inherent in this system. I don't have time to get into them today, but you can can look up the economic calculation problem of socialism. And it's not just that, oh, it, uh, it works on paper, it just doesn't work in practice. No, it doesn't work on paper either. This has been proven by people like Ludwig von Mises. It's stupid on paper, and it's evil in practice. And it has never and will never work. It has inherent flaws that make it physically impossible to survive. So stop wasting your time trying to fix a fundamentally flawed system and embrace free enterprise. It may not come with a government guarantee, but I can guarantee that we will be far happier, far richer, far freer, and far better off than under any other system known to man. We've seen it time and time again. If you can come up with a completely new revolutionary system for organizing an economy or society that hasn't already been tried and failed miserably, that isn't based in theft, violence, and coercion, I'm all ears. Until then, freedom is the way to go. Guys, don't forget to download and subscribe. Share the show. I know you know at least three people that need to hear this message. So go ahead and share it with them. Share it with them and give us a rating and review on iTunes. Five stars if you think the show is worth it. You can donate to our cause at peddlingfictionpodcast.com. 
Every dollar you give goes right back into delivering content and increasing our audience. Johnny the Jew will be back with me later this week, probably Thursday, with a new episode. Until then, just remember to keep on peddling that so-called fiction.